Hey, you serious? You just got an email from him and that's what he called me, a drama queen? Oh boy, you serious? Anyway, I'm always a fan of CX people with strong opinions. Well, hi everyone, and welcome to episode two of Talking CX. I'm your co-host, Robin Miller. And I'm Graham Clark. And welcome back, Graham. I am so excited for this episode and also about getting feedback from everyone out there. And by the way, thank you to everyone who did connect with us. So last week, we discussed uh, CX science and that there is a CX operating model that provides the foundation for this science. And that's what we'll be discussing this week. And I think we'll be using some fun analogies for uh, how that works and how it looks like. My favorite analogy is uh, using the skill game Jenga to create a visual picture of how it works. Um, 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 what, what's Jenga? So it's actually a British game, which you're from Britain, right? Oh, you're going to blame the Brits, huh? <laughs> well, it, it absolutely is, but so you you've never heard of it? Not no. I mean, I think I've heard the word, but I've no idea what it is. So, what is it? It is a skill game. It's uh, you take these three blocks and you put three block layers and you build them into a tower, and you know, I will get into kind of how that's relatable. A little bit later and i'm you know this is exciting graham this is a opportunity for you to get in touch with your with your culture so so hooray oh, well there you go <laughs> <laughs> i think we get in touch with our culture through cricket but that's okay so uh anyway we'll we'll we'll, we'll figure out this jenga thing as we go along i'm sure so uh. we'll get into that in a few minutes but a short recap from our previous episode because that's what we're talking about today is a continuation of that first episode where we discussed that the approach to CX has typically been more of an art rather than a science. And it's more recently moved towards being a science. And CX as a science uses the same tools and similar techniques but applies them so that we have results that are repeatable, measurable, investable, and all of that. So, per Perfect. Um, you, are, you are CX science certified, but I'll add one more. Remember, if companies ignore the importance of doing CX as a science, they're doomed. Oh, of course, yes. I couldn't possibly forget um, all of the all of the references to the approaching apocalypse from our first episode. And, uh, and you know, and by the way, we got in a few comments on that. Here's one email. Hi, Talking CX. Graham talks about revolution and SWAT teams, but who is the enemy we're fighting anyway? Graham, do you have a question? I mean, a question. Do you have an answer? <laughs> Yeah, no, I have lots of questions like what's Jenga. Um, so, uh, so you know, the the enemy is the enemy is traditional organizational thinking inside out, right? Thinking from the perspective of the organization rather than thinking from the perspective of the customer. And thanks for that question. And then here's another email from one listener, and it says, "Hey, talking CX, 
And this message is for you, Graham. Uh, this person says, I've been a CX professional for over 20 years, and I want to tell you I didn't sign up for the military. And I think you're being a drama queen about this whole doomsday scenario. My client appreciates my work, and I focus on being effective for their situation, not focusing on formulas. I know you know who I am, Graham, but I'm staying anonymous, okay? No. Sure, 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 Mike. I mean, Mitch, I mean, Mr. Anonymous, um, you, you, you know, you may not think of what you're doing as a science, but, you know, you told me how, for example, you create CX metrics that relate specifically to your clients, key performance indicators and measures that are going to give them ongoing measurable results by deeply understanding their customer. That is CX science. You know, you apply CX science every day. It doesn't have to be that complicated. And, and speaking of drama, you know, weren't you the one who dumped all over the need to move from this kind of artistic thing that many of us, including you, have been practicing for a decade? I mean, you know, come on. Wow. Well, this makes me wish that this person was actually on air with us. I think that we need to go track them down and bring them on the show as a guest. What do you think? Mm, I, I think, I think, you know, just tell me what day that is. So that I don't have to come and participate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he sounds like a true friend or a true friend of me or something. So something. Um, our next our next couple of emails are related. Uh, one is asking, I still don't get the CX science thing. Is it just a marketing ploy? And the other one says, I heard you say CX science is not about new techniques, but how you apply the same, the same techniques. And then it needs to be measured and repeatable, but I have no idea what you're really talking about here. I feel like you didn't really answer the, what is the heck is the CX science question? Well, so did that one, I would say, you know, you're, you're kind of correct about that. But, um, you know, we stated when we started that this is a series of podcasts on CX science. It's a wide subject and a deep subject. And one purpose of this entire podcast is to answer that very question. And so we're just laying the foundation or the blocks, if you will, to discuss this answer in detail. Yeah. And in, and in reference to the comment about CX science being a marketing ploy, the answer is no-ish. Um, I mean, take away the word marketing ploy and just say marketing. I mean, there is an element of marketing about it, but you know, if it's a marketing ploy, it's not a very good one because as, as your emailer stated, it takes a fair amount of time to explain and kind of understand it and unravel the pieces. And, um, you know, we're needing a whole podcast to do that maybe a couple of podcasts. And so while it'll become clearer as we go along, um, the other thing we're going to do is we're going to post information on the podcast page and links um, so that you can get more information to follow along as we, we clarify precisely what this thing is. Well, I think that's some really great feedback. And thanks to everyone who sent in a question. And if you didn't hear your question on the air, uh, one of us will be reaching out to you directly. So please keep the responses coming in. We appreciate it. Okay, so we're going to dive in. Uh, my understanding about the CX operating model 
is that it's the foundation of CX science and it's made up of several categories and subcategories. And there's a picture of what this looks like on our website here. There's a link to it on in our show notes. So everybody, please feel free to take a look at that. Uh, when you have the opportunity, I'd encourage all of you to take a look because it'll make you it'll make it easier to visualize those different pieces. So Graham, can you please walk us through what each of those categories and subcategories are at a high level? Yeah, there's there's six major categories, um, starting with with number one, which is strategy. And number one has two components. It has your business strategy. So what are you trying to do? You know, grow revenue, increase margin, uh, be better competitive positioning. And then also how does that relate to your, your customer or CX strategy? So which customers are you going to focus on? Um, you know, what are your objectives for those? Maybe how do your products and services line up to those? Um, and then, and then basically, you know, in the world of CX, right, the, the most important thing is the customer. So number two, after number one strategy, number two is kind of your customer model. And that's your, uh, kind of customer definitions, your audiences, personas, segments, a variety of different models. And then, you know, the journeys that those customers have, um, in interacting with your business or organization. So what are the, the series of steps that they go through from their perspective? How do they see them? Um, and how do they relate to your business and the interactions, which are really how they relate to your business? You know, when those interactions meet item number three, when they meet your operating model, sorry, which is really item number three, that's the experiences. So, um, experiences are where a customer journey inter intersects with your operating model, right? So do they, you know, go into a store to do this, call a contact center to do this, go online to do this. Maybe there's choices about how they get things done, you know, and, and who are the people they interact with? That's really the experience from the perspective of the customer. And as I said, that experience, which is number three, um, effectively touches number four, which is your business operating model. So the people, the processes, the applications, the data, the products, the services, the partner ecosystems, and all the other components that make your organization who you are, right? And what, what you're actually delivering to the outside world. So we have strategy, we have your customer model, number two, number three is experiences, number four is your operating model. And then in, in today's business world, as we all know, all of that is basically uh, underpinned by and enabled by technology. And we we refer to that technology layer for CX as the CX tech stack, which is number five. And then number six is the uh, continuous measurement and improvement system, which surrounds the whole thing, right? And allows you to you know, get better and better and improve your business every day in order to, to both adjust to meet changing customer expectations, but also maybe even to, to set some of those customer expectations in the marketplace and for your competitor. So six things. I guess there are, so in each of those six categories, I would imagine that there's kind of a depth of subcategories underneath those. Is that right? If we, if we pick a few examples, Right. I mean, you think about, we talked about strategy, but you think about the, um, you know, the customer model. So in addition to defining maybe you're targeting uh, by age, you're targeting by income level, you're targeting by um, social interests, you're targeting by ethnicity, you're targeting by gender, you're targeting by marital status, all those items, and then the needs and the wants that those customers have. So really a way of grouping your 
um, your customers together in a way to understand. And then if, if we think about um, kind of we talked about where the experience meets the operating model, you think of the interaction channels that people have to consider today, which may be, you know, branches or stores, contact centers, IVR self-service capability, web apps, uh, sorry, web sites, mobile apps, social media capabilities, environmental sensing on IoT, chatbots, right, the list goes on and on. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty robust portfolio. Oh, you're right. Let's, let's skip that for now. Yeah, see, that's what I said. Of course. So here's what the what I was thinking that occurred to me when I was looking at the diagram and listening to your descriptions is that, well, this seems pretty straightforward, the, the categories and what they do. Um, it's actually not straightforward because, well, it's relatively easy to understand what each category is and what it's used for. It's not doesn't really seem linear to me. And what I mean is that each company that is on their own CX journey is not necessarily going to use each of these pieces or categories in the same way and in the same order. Would you agree with that? Uh, abso- abso- absolutely. I mean, it's it, not only is, is each uh, organization's situation different, the challenges they're trying to to solve and how they apply the techniques um, is going to be very different, not just in each individual company, but in each individual company at each moment in time. And when we talked about CX science has two pieces, it has the CX operating model, the six components we just described. And then the other piece of that is how do you use these tools and this understanding to actually drive improvement in your business model, right? So two kind of overarching things, the customer experience operating model we described, but also the the, uh, the approach, which is really the CX science piece, the approach of how you apply and use that understanding in order to drive business improvement. But yeah, it's not linear um, in the real world and, um, you know, and it's not, it's not simple, but, um, you know, with the frameworks and the playbooks and the tools that have been developed over the last few years, um, it is possible, right? With, a, with smart, smart people, um, you know, applying ever-improving tools in a smart way, um, you know, you can do this stuff. It's not impossible. So you just ruined my Jenga um, analogy. <laughs> Why? But by the way, I think the Jenga, I think the Jenga category is absolutely appropriate. You might want to think about it though, because you know, basically it's the same thing, right? I mean, what are you talking about? A tower of blocks, and you just got to remove a block. But which blocks you remove, and how you remove it, and what you do is based on what the person before you did. And so, you know, the actual process of of playing Jenga, whilst simple in concept, is incredibly complicated to win. I thought you didn't know anything about it. This is amazing. Well, I've been doing. <laughs> you've been you've been you've been sitting there on Google since I mentioned it. I could tell. <laughs> so, um. So uh, for those of you who... who you, could, you could even build that into the podcast, <laughs> by the way. I mean, that whole conversation we just had, right? You saying, well, I was no, going to go down the road on a Jenga analogy, and that doesn't really work. And I can go, well, you know, actually. <laughs> yeah, this is so. great. Um, so for those of you who did not jump on Google and, 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 and Google Jenga while we were talking, let me just kind of, uh, and, and have never heard of it, I'll just briefly describe it as, you know, you, you take three blocks 
and there's three blocks in each layer and you put layer on top of layer until you have built yourself a tower. And typically, I don't know, 12 to 18 layers, depending on what version you're playing. But the goal of this game is to take a block out of the tower and put it on top of the tower and continue to do that until the tower is so, um, and, and then, you know, the goal is to keep yourself from being the person that makes the tower fall over by removing the wrong block and putting it in the wrong spot. And so the way I see it is, you know, each company that has their own CX journey and they're starting to take these blocks out of the tower and putting it on top of it, um, it, like, like Graham just said, it's a matter of who's going to do it and when and how, and it's, it's really can be quite complicated. And the one difference though, in this, in this game, in, in CX Jenga, if, if I can say, rather than regular Jenga, is that in regular Jenga, one of the goals of the game is to get the tower destabilized so that your opponent will knock it down. And in this case, it would be everybody working together as a team to make sure that it doesn't fall over. So that's an important distinction here. But Graham, I think you had your, your own analogy, didn't you, that you kind of liked? Well, yeah, I have to admit, I, I definitely prefer Lego than, than Jenga because my head, my head's still hurting and I'm not sure that I, uh, I'm not sure that I like the idea of framing the world of CX as, anything that involves collapsing towers because uh, just doesn't work. Um, but having, having said that, I do think the, um, maybe not an analogy, but an example. It fits into your, it fits into your doomsday approach. Yeah, it's my doomsday Perfectly. approach. Not your <laughs> anyway, um, um, but I do think we should probably trademark CX Jenga. I think that's a great idea. Um, so, um, but I do, but I have an, an example where I think it does really apply. And so, um, you know, if you think about, if you think about, um, just thinking back on some, some very personal examples, right? So we, we talked, um, last time about this hospitality company that I worked with and, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that they went through was a pretty, uh, pretty significant evolution of their customer understanding model, both, both in both times, right? When they first went through their first application of CX. And then we talked about kind of this epiphany where they, they moved into a more, um, kind of rigorous, repeatable CX science model in 2018 or so. Um, but one of the things they did is is they went through this this period where they um, kind of dug deep into a, you know a quote that I kind of carry around, which is the old Mark Twain quote of it: "It ain't what you know that'll kill you. It ain't what you don't know. It's what you know that ain't so." And in their case, the "what you know that ain't so" is they had a very specific customer model, and um, so they, 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 they went ahead and they, they did a number of things in the organization to improve customer experience based on, um, kind of the deep understanding they had as their customers. The only problem was it turned out that the understanding they had of their customers was wrong. Um, and so they hadn't actually been out and, uh, kind of done, um, fundamental customer research for a couple of years. Um, and in the process, in the time frame since they'd done it, their customers desires and wants and needs from them. Um, it changed pretty dramatically. Plus, they had new customers, and we talked about this, you know, focus on the on the uh, the Indian IT professional in the North American marketplace as being an area where they really change what they're doing. So, um, you know, I think the idea of getting it wrong and the tower falls over if you focus in the wrong direction—that's it's a very appropriate analogy. So, speaking of that story, um, you, you know, it's a good story. 
But I think, you know, last time you discussed how it affected more of the C-suite and the organization overall. So I'd be interested to know how that tower falling over impacted the lives of the people that were doing the actual work. You know, they were the ones that were kind of the worker bees and, and doing the surveys and, and, and putting the, the journey maps together and, and doing all of that, that hard work. So how did, how did it affect them? Yeah. I, I mean, I give a very specific example, right? We mentioned in a, in a previous podcast about, about, you know, this executive Fred who basically was kind of the driver, but I, I think I mentioned that he didn't really come up with this all by himself. There was one of his, uh, his staff members, a lady by the name of Trini, um, who just made his life a misery about stuff, to be honest with you. I mean, she was just completely obsessed about the importance, which is fantastic. And she's probably the reason that we got to work there. Um, um, and then I mentioned before that in the first evolution, the first wave, they didn't uh, communicate the the value of what it is they were doing, even though they added a bunch of value. So when they kind of blew the whole thing up in 2016, um, you know, I, I'm really not totally sure how she survived in the organization because, um, you know, how it works. There was a lot of blame to go around, right, from 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 many of the senior executives, and they felt like they'd invested all the time. So tell me about just about an experience or one or two experiences that you saw her have though, you know, that she went through like in a way that's relatable to how she must've felt. Yeah. I mean, I think the, I mean, you know, the CX experience world is about, you know, ease of effectiveness and emotions. Let's, let's think about it from a, and talk about it from an emotional perspective. So, so when the, um, you know, when the first wave of their kind of CX revolution kind of came to an end, um, you know, it, it was it was a pretty miserable time. I mean, some of it I got to see, some of it I heard about later. Um, but you know how that works, right? When you're when you're charting a new course and and kind of the organization takes its attention off it, people people sometimes attack. And so, um, you know, there was a there was I mean, she she was she was the person at the vanguard. I mean, I talked about these, you know, CX SWAT teams and all the other things we think about, and I don't want to get back into war analogies, but she was leading the troops. And so, um, you know, when when people when people tried to um, push back on the work that they were doing and claimed that the journey maps they produced didn't relate to real experiences, and they had um, they had a digital UX team who basically uh, took a position of UX is everything and CX is nothing, right? Which was an interesting thing to observe. I don't think interesting would have been how she would have described it. Um, it was pretty painful. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was, but again, it was, it was, you know, that, I mean, she, 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 I would say survive, she didn't survive. She thrived, right? I mean, she, she was a very particular personality that could, could take that and, and was strong enough in her beliefs and her understanding to, to kind of fight through that and then fight through the kind of the dark period when they took their eye off the ball. Um, and then to come back when, you know, when, when the organization kind of rebirthed the whole thing, but it was, I mean, it, it was, I, I, I mean, I, I think it was a pretty scary time for her. I mean, she'd been with the organization for 10 years and, uh, you know, I think she came very close to, to being fired, to be honest with you. I mean, they, they cleared the deck. Some people jumped, some people went and hid, which is what she did. Um, and kept working away in the background, but, but, you know, the organization took their, took their eye off the ball and, and, and maybe, maybe make it even more personal than that. I mean, you think about what she, 
you know, what she'd done in, in being a change agent, right. In standing up and, and, and driving this stuff for three years from 2013 to 16. And then just literally having the, what she perceived as the executive team just pulled the, pulled the rug from underneath her. Right. And she couldn't get support and, you know, people were criticizing because they wanted to repurpose the resources and the money. And so, um, you know, I just, I, to this day, I give a huge amount of kudos. I mean, it takes a lot of fortitude to, to do that. But, you know, when you're doing something important and you're, um, you know, you're really changing the way an organization operates and potentially, um, you know, saving that organization, if they continue to operate the way they used to, then it takes that kind of personality at least to, to lead the charge. So, um, you know, I mean, I, it's really pretty, pretty amazing story to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, sounds like it. So, I mean, really there's probably a lot of lessons learned for the organization itself, or maybe a number of organizations to learn how to not put their, you know, put their people through a lot of up and down in turmoil. That's completely unnecessary. Yeah, I, I would. Yes, I would say in an ideal world, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, all the things that you hear, you know, folks talk about all the time, making sure you have executive support and alignment and all the other things. But, but you know, I've been, I've been in the business world for 35 years. And, and I have to say that, that in most organizations, real change, um, there's an old story that says uh, permission, permission to revolt comes from above, but revolution happens from the streets. And so, um, you know, what I've always seen is there's a trini. I mean, with, with a, with a Fred in support executive wise, but there's a trini who, you know, grabs the flag, right. And, and basically runs with it and is willing to, is willing to fight their way through this kind of stuff because they believe it. And, and in a good organization, of course, that's your VPs of tomorrow, right? Because the people who successfully drive those changes are people that the organization rallies around and the the folks in the organization really want to follow because they know that they're leaders and they're probably leaders who came from the, you know, from the regular parts of the organization. So uh, yeah, it's great to have uh, executive support. It's great to have clear strategy and alignment. It's great to have the tools that you require to do your job and, and to plan it all out and to take time and, you know, put all the right training in place. But that that's, that's a fantasy in my experience, in my experience. I mean, you, you get that after, the Trinis and the Freds of the world have, have fought the, the initial battle. That's when, you know, the company says, okay, this is good stuff. Now let's, now let's formalize it. Now let's structure it. Now let's systematize it. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's, that's the way it tends to be. So going forward, it's going to be like um, CX science as guerrilla warfare. <laughs> you, you will probably, <laughs> which you will probably enjoy a lot. <laughs> uh, I, I think I'll enjoy it as soon as I figure out what that is. It's like anything to do with Django. Um, CX science as guerrilla warfare. Yeah, I think. I'm not quite sure I understand that. We'll have to come back to that on the next podcast, I think. Yeah. So I, so yeah, in all seriousness, so going forward, it's going to be all about how to take those building blocks and layer them in the right positions by the right people with the right timing based on the kind of company you have. So that's not going to be true for every company. Every company is a little bit different. So that's going yeah. to be interesting yeah. to see how that all fits together. Yeah. And the big, I mean, the big, you know, the big, I mean, as you said, in all seriousness, I mean, I think the big difference between today and 2013, 14, 15, even 16 is this, you know, what we, we often refer to slightly jokingly as, you know, the smart folks in the room, 
you know, the Harvard Business Schools and the McKinsey's and the Bain's and the Boston Consulting Groups have, have drawn this incredibly hard line between CX success and business success, um, between, you know, CX metrics and revenue and growth and market capitalization. And so, you know, today, and this is probably a three-year a three-year-old movement, um, you know, the C-suite is is in on this thing, you know, along with a few other things. So, so 2013-14, it was very much a kind of from the trenches type movement. Today, most C-suites and, and senior vice presidents are asking the question of how do we get in? So, you know, it's a much better time, I would say, to be somebody to pick up the, you know, to pick up the ball and run with it in the CX movement. And I think there's more opportunity to, to bring more formality and process and procedure to this and better tools. And so that's why we think, you know, the last couple of years have really been the time when we believe the CX science thing is we need to gather momentum. All right. Well, let's, let's see where that goes from here. Hey, we need to come up with a contest. Actually, I think, I think we have some books and things to give away. So we're going to have mm. to come up with a way to, to do that and get people involved in, in, in getting those. So we'll be coming up with that next time. And I think that you've been globe trotting, going to several conferences, and maybe we'll be discussing that here shortly as well, in addition yeah. to getting into our CX building blocks. So keep yeah. those letters and uh, coming in, letters, <laughs> emails coming in. <laughs> Maybe don't try to send Better letters. Too. I don't think that'll work very well. I don't think um, we provided a mailing address. So I'm not quite sure <laughs> no, I don't think we did. Um, emails and phone calls and social media, Twitter. We're on Twitter now. So, so uh, join the conversation and we will see you next week. In the meantime, remember, do CX right. Do it right now. That's our tagline. Yeah. <laughs> okay. See you next time.